may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that by it, uh, we would be humbled and therefore by You lifted up. Uh, We thank You that though You oppose the proud, You are drawn uh, to those who are lowly. We thank You most of all for Jesus, uh, the One who had all glory but gave it up to bring us to You. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. When I was in high school and uh, my friends and I were very involved at our church, Hollywood Presbyterian, there was an associate pastor in his early 30s, late 20s, who had an outrageous sense of humor. He was Welsh, still is, uh, and he made it a point, he's been in the States now for I think 35 years, he always referred to this country as your country, he was proud about being British, and being loyal to the crown. So um, we enjoyed getting to know him. We were often at his house and vice versa. We were in Bible studies with him and so forth. And he liked to play practical jokes and pranks, pull pranks on us, and we would sometimes return the favor, all with good-natured fun. Uh, So one night, uh, there was a church service on Sunday nights. We had fairly involved church services. A hundred, hundreds of people would be there. And our building at Hollywood Press is like a grand cathedral. So he's preaching. And my friend Henry and I were out. We had been at the beach, I think. And then we went to work out and lift weights. So we wanted to go to church. So we walked in in our gym clothes and our flip-flops. And Rob, being this very dramatic Welsh preacher, you could see the eyebrow go up. He was wearing his robe, and he looked up from his notes and said, look at what the cat just dragged in. And everyone turned and looked at my friend Henry and me. Now my first thought, our first thought is, oh, we will repay him for this, and we did. Uh, But it did make me wonder on that night and on occasion, is there a dress code for church? Now, before you answer out loud, (laughs) I think we need to hear what Peter is telling us here. There is something to wear to church, though it's not about suits or long sleeves or short sleeves or shorts or flip-flops or Windsor tips. Rather, it's the character quality that we don as Christ's people. I want to frame this whole passage around chapter 5, verse 5. Clothe yourselves, Peter says, with humility toward one another. You see, Christians have always recognized it's central to the Bible that humility is the central virtue. And this is calling us to be not just humble in our relationship with God, but uh, more specifically to be a humble community. Conversely, pride, it has been said, is the central vice from which other sins flow. Most of all, pride opposes God. An early Greek philosopher named Bothius or Bethius said, while all vices flee from God, all other vices flee from God. So for example, lust or envy or greed or rage. He said, while all vices flee from God, pride alone withstands God. Pride alone withstands God. 
And as we hear about this theme, pride is not necessarily only shaking our fists, but quietly resisting God in our hearts and minds. You see, I think that most Christians, especially evangelical Christians, know that Frank Sinatra's cheesiest song, (laughs) I Did It My Way, yes, that's his cheesiest song, (laughs) that that cannot be our anthem. We know this in the realm, let's say, of sexuality or just lifestyle in general. We tend to know as believers that we can't follow the motto of the culture that we have our own reality, that we have my truth. And yet sometimes, even biblical believers, we do it my way when it comes to the body of Christ. This is a very very common thing. You see, pride tempts us to say, friends, I can grow on my own. I can know Christ simply on my own terms. I don't need encouragement. I don't need accountability. Vital connection to the vine and to his people. Well, that's optional for me. Now, we need to say, and it's a sensitive matter, that people disconnect from the church for all sorts of reasons, partly because passages like this one have been abused. And leadership in particular can be abusive. Sometimes it's also just simply inconvenient to pull away from the church. But if we were to dig down far enough into do-it-yourself spirituality, that ultimately is a reflection of spiritual pride. You see, friends, the church does not save us, but when God saves us, he He joins us to Jesus. We are buried into his life, death, and resurrection. But it also means that when we're joined to the church, we are automatically joined to Christ's people. And that means God in his spirit has encoded community into our spiritual DNA. We cannot do this on our own. And as we come to the close of this letter, Peter says that God tends to his flock, in part through under-shepherds or pastors, elders and deacons and other leaders in the church. And so today we're going to look at the actions of leaders and others and also the attitudes, what we're to do and how we are to perceive one another. Peter exhorts the elders among you or among us. Now, the word for elder in the Greek, you may know as presbuteros or presbuteros. And from this, we get the word Presbyterian. And we, as Presbyterians, as leaders, are to shepherd the people of God. And so the word pastor comes from the Greek word for shepherd. Now, Presbyterians believe that while pastors primarily pastor, we have other elders or presbyteros among us. We have what's called ruling elders or lay leaders. And they are also called to shepherd the flock of God that has been assigned or allotted to us. Verse 2b says that we shepherd by exercising oversight. 
Now, the Greek word for oversight is episkopos, and from, we, from that word we get the word episcopalian. So a lot of these church terms that we're used to actually come from this very passage. And see, we know this. The church, like a family, needs guidance and nurturing. We all need this. I need it too, and we're going to see that in a moment. Leaders are accountable to Christ and his word, to one another, and to you. And to care for those that God has entrusted to us, it means, and this is all assumed throughout this passage, we must get to know our people, we must get to know you, and that is our privilege. And in this mutual knowledge, Jesus is our model. We hear in the Gospel of John that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and he calls them out by name, and he leads them. And we're to follow that model from the Good Shepherd, which means we're, we're to listen to you so that you might listen for the Word of God through us. We're to mingle with you and, and ask you questions and try to remember your answers and your concerns. Jesus said to his followers, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And what a joy it is for us as elders, as leaders, to call you our friends. Not to lord it over you, but to come alongside you. Uh, to meet with you for coffee or a meal. To connect with you through phone calls and texts and sometimes old-fashioned cards. And this is telling us that we don't shepherd timidly or passively, but proactively. Now, shepherds must be courteous and kind. Good shepherds must listen to their sheep. And that means, as leaders, we want your input. We are not ruling from on high, but there is a cooperative way of connecting to one another in the body of Christ, which means leaders stay sensitive and attuned we, in popular business terms, in um, community terms or relational terms, we are to enfranchise you, to include you. But it also means that we are to guide this congregation forward according to the Word of God as best as we can understand it, as we listen to the history of what other teachers have said throughout the ages. We are to guide this congregation forward compassionately and with tender assertiveness. And that means that sometimes sheep need to be gently pushed and pulled uh, to follow what the vision of the Lord seems to be for his people. Again, from the word of God. Now this critical shepherding task that the Lord gives to his under-shepherds, what's critical to our calling, and it's not just for elders, but for others who teach, who teach children's ministry or lead in youth ministry or college ministry. But a critical task for us is to feed the flock the word of God. 1 Peter 1.22, we have seen, says this to us about our spiritual life and how we all came to be. It says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed or simply the words of people, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And this word is the good news, not simply the good news, but the good news that is preached 
to you. And so in a very tangible and real way, God gives us spiritual life and fosters our new life through the good news that is preached and that is a central and vital ministry of the church. Now, what makes this very interesting is that in the age of technology, we have podcasts, we have online sermons, we obviously have books and articles, and those resources are wonderful. Uh, we should all avail ourselves of those helps and those tools, and I know you do. But it's important also to know that it's pastors in the local church, shepherds, who are called to minister to you face to face, which means that you humbly submit to that. And you understand that we can't simply be a virtual body of Christ, but we are to be the body of Christ that's embodied, that's in person. There was an article that came out a few years ago that, that I thought was provocative, and I almost was hesitant to read it to you because it can sound uh, a little overly assertive, but I think it's quite accurate. And the pastor who wrote it, this, is, this was the title, he said, why I am a better pastor for you than Tim Keller or John Piper. <laughs> or you can fill in a whole lot of other names. And this is what that pastor said. It's probably not someone you've even heard of. He said, I'm here. I can shepherd you. I can, if you're patient with you, know your name and your story. One of the things that we love about folks coming forward for communion is we get to say your names as we minister the bread and the wine to you. I can know your story, he says. I can pray for you. I probably thought about you or a friend of yours as I prepared this week's sermon. That's true. If you have a question about the sermon or you're seeking wisdom in picking a college or dating your marriage, parenting, I promise I'll respond to your email. Sometimes not like right away, <laughs> but we aim to do that. I'll be there when you get married, if we're invited to the wedding. <laughs> I'll pray with you and your loved ones when a loved one dies. And I commit to pursue you if you go astray. I'm a flawed pastor, but if you commit yourself to Christ's church, I promise to commit myself to you. He's right. And the key word from 1 Peter 5 is that Peter says to shepherd the flock of God, and it's very easy to miss this, among you. The people that you're with. This is embodied ministry. And friends, it implies that therefore in humility we stay connected to one another. Shepherds are also, according to 1 Peter 2.2, we are to pour out pure spiritual milk, which is the word of God. Again, we're not here to express our agendas, but we're here to express God's agenda. We serve up meat. And as part of this, shepherding entails protecting the flock of God. In Acts 20, we're told that the Holy Spirit had made the leaders of the church overseers. And as such, they were to protect the people. It says in Acts 20 that there would be fierce wolves that will come in among the people of God, not 
sparing the flock. And so shepherds are to stand between the people and frankly the wolves that would try to harm the body of Christ. And we don't do that by being macho or having some sort of you know, physical confrontation at the door, but we do that by spiritually protecting the congregation, by preaching and teaching the word of God and instructing and rebuking those who would try to bring dissension and to teach their own agenda. Proverbs 13.10 says this, and this is a helpful paraphrase. Arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord, but wise men and women listen to each other's counsel as we listen to the word of God and let the word of God guide us and guard us and protect us. So these are some of the actions that we do as shepherds and that you submit to as God's flock. But the attitude with which we do these things is vital. We're to shepherd not under compulsion, Peter says, but willingly. This is a good reminder, not merely because there's a job to do, but because we want to serve, because it's a joy to serve. And this reminds us that it is a joy to serve you. You see, the ministry that the Lord has given to us is driven by His ministry to us. And that means we're not to lord it over others. And though, again, we sometimes need to push and pull gently, we're never to be overbearing or high-handed or heavy-handed. And friends, you know that in the last few years, so much has been written about leaders who bully And that is not the way of Christ. Peter says that leaders are never to be about ego advancement or self-promotion. He goes even further. He says that we're not to be in this ministry for shameful gain. Now, it's valid for those who minister to make a living from gospel ministry. Galatians 6, 4 says, let the one who is taught share all good things with the one who teaches, and you do a wonderful job at that, and we are thankful for that. But remuneration is meant to free us up for service. It's never to be a cash cow for getting rich, and yet we see this so often in the larger church. It's something we need to guard against. You see, the church is called a nonprofit for more reasons than one. And so again, there's no place for authoritarian leadership nor for leaders to bossily tell others what to do, but we tenderly tenderly show the way. It, It always seems that somehow a cat illustration gets into this whole thing when we talk about authoritarian leadership. And there's a comic strip of a cat that's up on a couch and it's peering down at the family dog that's looking up so eagerly and with a friendly expression, and the cat says, I was a dog in a previous life, but I was reincarnated as a god, looking down on the poor dog. Well, that too often is actually the way leaders who have uh, been put in high positions, they think of themselves that way, that somehow they have pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and, and earned the right to be on a high platform but we've already heard that God opposes the proud 
and lifts up the humbles, the humble. You see, cult leaders coerce and manipulate, but biblical leaders present the revealed will of the Lord with gentleness and humility. We are reminded that it's the Lord's flock and not ours. We are under shepherds, not over shepherds. Now, it's so interesting that Peter wrote this because Jesus asked Peter, he said, do you love me? And he said, if you do, then tend my flock and shepherd my people, which means you. And it also means that you are to let yourselves be shepherded. Now, this is a really hard concept, friends, because the culture says, question all authority, deconstruct all those who are in authority. And as we discussed at Books and Brew this last Monday, and the women will discuss again on this Monday tomorrow, there is a healthy level of skepticism and suspicion that we should express toward leadership and um, experts in the culture. But that kind of suspicion goes too far so often and reveals a kind of spiritual pride if we're not um, careful. Hebrews 13 says to the people of God, obey your leaders in the church and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who must give an account and let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. So humility should mark us all. And those who have oversight get low. We are to wash feet as we show you how to wash each other's feet. I want you to note that Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Jesus. And he was one of Jesus' inner circle. And he refers to himself as he writes to the elders that he's equipping for the next phase of ministry He writes to them as a fellow elder, and that's really something. He identifies with these leaders. He gets on their level. He lifts them up, so to speak, instead of pulling rank. He understood after the resurrection of Jesus. He understood what Jesus meant by saying, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And yet, friends, the church has sometimes drifted from this understanding. Uh, there's a, a lecturer, a professor in, um, who's an expert in ancient history, and in one of his lectures, he talks about how the mentality of culture is expressed in drawings of certain periods in history. And he said that in the Middle Ages, what began to creep into the artwork of religious painters was that the archbishops were much larger in the paintings than the peasants were. And this lecturer points out that that wasn't just poor mechanics and artistic drawing. He was making, the the drawer was making a point. He was saying that in God's point of view or from God's point of view, 
the archbishops, the leaders, were bigger. They were more important. They were exalted, whereas the peasants were small and lowly. But you see, that so goes against what Peter is saying here. And yet it illustrates that a worldly mentality can creep into the church. Note what a contrast that is to what Paul said in Philippians 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And this is to characterize not only you, but also those who lead. And you see, Peter knows that he will share in the glory of the risen Lord. When Jesus returns, Peter knows that everlasting life will be unleashed in all of its fullness and beauty. There will be no more decay. There will be no more pride or, or strife in the church or persecution or suffering from the world. And Peter reminds those who lead faithfully like Jesus that they, that we, will share his glory. And he will say to us, to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But that is for him to say to us, not for us to say to ourselves. And yet Peter is recognizing that before that fullness of glory comes, we sometimes suffer, and friends, we sometimes suffer, as we saw last week, not simply at the world's hands, but we sometimes suffer in the church. We hurt each other. Sometimes leaders hurt laity, and la uh, laity hurts leaders. And yet we endure through the suffering. You see, Peter said this as a right-hand lieutenant of Jesus who himself was eventually, tradition says, put on a cross outside of Rome or in Rome. And, you know, to be honest with you, um, challenges in ministry over the last 30 years, the good thing is that ha they have brought me to the end of myself and to the cross and to the empty tomb again and again. And ministry challenges, the way that we sometimes wound each other in the church, those can be hard. I would have to say that in the last three decades, there have been times where, you know, wounds in the church are tougher for me to deal with than my medical, severe medical challenges have ever been. As I once to told a wise counselor, um, my kidneys never mean it personally. <laughs> And sometimes as people, we wound each other. But this passage is saying, when you're wounded, don't disengage, but come to the foot of the cross humbly together. Peter says quite specifically in verse 5, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And one of the joys of my life in my teen years was to seek out spiritual mentors in my congregation Sometimes all the way up to 72 years old, there was a man named Fred Grayston. I'd go out to lunch with him. I'd be wearing shorts. He'd be wearing a business suit. But he was a mentor that helped me, and it was a joy to submit myself to him. You see, friends, we are in a partnership of mutually submitting ourselves to the great shepherd and overseers 
overseer of our soul. And that means that we are accountable to him and we are accountable to, to each other as we are accountable to the word of God. Let me take you back to this notion of Presbyterianism. You see, elders in our system of government are in subjection to our brethren. That's actually one of the vows that we take. As I am a part of Presbytery, as Nick and other pastors are a part of Presbytery, um, we are submitting ourselves to them, but also submitting ourselves to you. We are never above the congregation. It's been my joy recently to serve on a shepherding committee. They recruited guys that are considered a little older, <laughs> and I guess that's a compliment. But we have a group of us that uh, we are reaching out so that we might shepherd other shepherds because we all need encouragement. We all need accountability. And it means that you as church members promise to submit yourselves to the government, to the loving leadership, to the shepherding of the church. You see, as a congregation, this means that we do not follow what Proverbs 13.10 says. Proverbs 13 says, again, the arrogant know-it-all stirs up discord, but wise men and women listen to each other. So what do we wear as a church? Well, we wear humility. We are to be a humble community. And this means we put on the mindset of engagement and other-centeredness and looking out for the interests of others. And friends, as I have been thinking about this passage all week, and I say this with uh, gentleness, I don't see that the, the tendency of this congregation is to be full of boastful people, not at all. I think our danger is more disconnecting, a lack of involvement, pulling away. And if we're not careful, those things are evincing, demonstrating a kind of spiritual pride where we say, I can do it on my own, but we can't. Humility says we need each other as the Lord ministers to us together. So friends, wear what Christ calls you to do and to be. Wear humility. But most of all, wear what Christ has done for you. Remember that Philippians 2 says that we are to take on this humble mindset which was in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus was humility in very human form. God opposes the proud, but he lifts up the humble and he lifts us up in, together in the humble one. Let's pray. God, I thank you. We thank you for your word that speaks to us so powerfully. I pray that it would humble us and that we would think not only about the traps of the kind of 
pride that is boasting or arrogant or calling attention to ourselves, but God, that we would also think about the spiritual pride that is much more subtle, where we disengage, where we pull away, where we think we don't need the body of Christ. God, I pray for us and for the church at large that we would all remain connected to you and connected to each other. That we would see that you feed us through the word of God, through preaching, through the loving oversight, the gentle shepherding of leaders whom you appoint. God, I pray for us who are your under-shepherds that we would follow the example of Jesus, that we would never lord it over or have a heavy or high hand, but that we would serve and wash feet. And I pray that we would all do that for each other, that we would look out not only for our own interests, but also for the interests of others. God, I pray that you would help this congregation to follow this passage, that we would submit to your shepherding as we submit to the shepherds who you have ordained to care for your flock. And Father, as we go to the Lord's Supper now, may we receive bread and wine in a way that nourishes us. It is not our meal, but it is yours. And we thank you for giving us your life, for giving us your son, the one who was so and is so awesome, but who became low, who thought about our interests. We thank you that we are lifted up and exalted in him, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.